Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. Like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's Gabe time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Kuhn Show. 92.9 FM ESPN. Welcome in on a Thursday, December 7th, 2023. Pearl Harbor Day. That's interesting. How about that? One around for that, but I know that means a lot to uh, a lot of our older audience. No question about it. But welcome into the Gabe Kuhn Show. I am your host, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman, Gabe Kuhn. On Twitter, or on X, the artist formerly known as Twitter. G underscore Kuhn 71. I'm alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Kuhn Show. Trivia host extraordinaire, that would be Connor Dunning on X at C Dunning929. Connor, what's the word, brother? What's up, man? I didn't have to use the tab to okay. drown my sorrows. It, 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 two and oh! Two it's and all that matters. Two and no oh. one asks how you win, they ask if you win. Correct. And the Grizzlies cruised and the Tigers didn't. That was sort of the opposite of what I thought it would look like. Hey, last a win's night. a win. A win's a win's a win's a win. That's that's all I can say about it. But we'll talk about that here off the top of the show. We have a three-hour show. And then tomorrow we're going to go back to two and a half hours. But three-hour show, three hours of talk on the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM ESPN and yours. Truly going to open on the Tigers and the Grizzlies here in a moment. Uh, we'll take a trip around the NFL at 5.30 per normal. Small talk at 5.50. The Blitz at 6.30. It's going to be a short Blitz um, because we have one topic of discussion. We don't talk. haven't been able to talk a lot of Major League Baseball, although there's a lot of happenings right this second. And I haven't even got to ask you, Connor, how do you feel about your man Alex Verdugo going to be wearing the uh, pinstripes? Alex Verdugo off the Yankees? I didn't have. I was never as connected to him as the rest of the fan base for some reason. Because you're not. A, you weren't in Boston. Probably that. Uh, yeah, but Probably that, that does kind of feel weird, right? Because Alex Verdugo, at times, sort of felt like heart, soul, fan favorite guy, and now he's going to have to shave the beard off and be a Yankee. Do it, the Yankee. Boo. Yeah, but also, um, we have some news that we're following along the way about Shohei Otani. Um, looks like he'll likely be a Dodger, but the Giants and Blue Jays are still a part of it. The Angels are trying to make their case, although they're not going to make their case. Um, but the Dodgers met with Shohei Otani for two to three hours. I want to give you my thoughts on Shohei, the sweepstakes, what it means, and where he should land, and what what I sort of think about him getting five hundred fifty to six hundred million dollars. Obviously, two-way player, but next year he's not going to be a two-way player. There's a lot of things that need to be discussed when we talk about Shohei Otani. We'll get out of here with the rewind at 6.50. As far as guests are concerned, Jeff Calkins at 5 o'clock. Jeff Calkins show in the Daily Memphian. We'll talk about the Tigers and the Grizzlies win. Then at 6 o'clock, a lot of NFL and college football with my man from BetMGM tonight and Odyssey Sports betting insider. He is Ryan Horvat. Um, So we'll discuss that along the Way, but the Tigers, I, I we have to start on the Tigers, right? The more interesting of the two games, there's no question about it because the Grizzlies cruise, Tigers did not cruise, but they improved to six and two at VCU in Richmond, 85 to 80 in overtime. And I do want to, off the top, there's a lot of things and questions we need to ask about this Tiger basketball team at this moment, but I do have to, off the top, give VCU some credit. They played possessed last night, they did. They got to all the loose balls. Every ball seemed to wind up in their hands, every loose ball. Um, they, they rebounded on the offensive end in a, I mean, possessed way. Toy Boo Wall, I, I can't get over him. I mean, the amount of putbacks and offensive rebounds he got, it's unbelievable. That was one thing going into last night's game, though, Connor. We said they're going to have to work their ass off the Tigers on, the, uh, on, on rebounding. 
because VCU is good at it, and they're going to be down Jordan Brown. And they were down Jordan Brown last night. You had Malcolm Dandridge and Nick Jordan. They didn't do a good enough job. And it really does highlight, I think, one of the larger issues with this team. Um, you could talk about lack of effort all you want and going to rebound. And, and, and I think largely getting bodies on people and, and effort on the defensive glass, that's how you get defensive rebounds. And you keep the other team from exposing you and getting second oppor- opportunities. But I think also... We can be honest about this. It's personnel, too. They don't have the personnel right now to be consistent in their defensive rebounding ability. It's Malcolm Dandridge, Nick Jordan, Nick Jordan and, and David Jones. And Nick Jordan had two rebounds last night. They need more. They need Jordan Brown to come back. They need it. And I talked about it yesterday. If he does not come back in, in, in you know the way we thought, he was going to come back. If he never turns into the double-double guy, the double-digit rebound guy, the guy who can score around the rim, we have to have discussions about the floor and the ceiling of this team. That's the reality of it. I still think they have plenty of talent. They're a tournament team. I think they have a lot of ability, and they could be a scary team. But with Jordan Brown being a 16-10 and 10 guy, I think they can be you know, a, a, a top five, top six seed if not, you sort of look at them in that 7, 8, 9, 10 line, and that's frustrating. You could be a scary 7, 8, 9, 10 seed, but at the same time, you're going to have tougher matchups along the way if that's the way it plays out. So discussions will need to be had. I'm going to wait to see what Jordan Brown looks like after this, uh, this sickness, which, by the way, Penny Hardaway made it very clear, sickness. No, no reason to worry. I know the timing was bizarre, but Penny Hardaway said, I hope he can join us as soon as we get back to Memphis. So... It was a actual uh, sickness. Went in to the training staff, uh, had some issues. I, I don't know. He didn't, you know, enlighten us on if it was a cough or anything like that. Congestions, congestion, but it was it was a sickness. Um, but also, when it comes to that same personnel I'm talking about in the front court, not having Jordan Brown clicking on all cylinders, all of VCU's scoring was directly around the basket. There was a point in the game where they had 19 two-pointers that dropped in. They didn't shoot the three ball very well because they're not a good three-point shooting team. But there was a point where they had 19 two-point baskets. 16 of them were dunks. If that does not show you that this front court is a little bit decimated and uncomfortable, I don't know what else will. Obviously, like I, I, this was the first game, and other people may have pushed this button before this game whether it be Villanova or Ole Miss, what have you. Last night was the first game where I said, damn, DeAndre Williams would be a hell of a guy to have in a game like this. They could cruise to a win if he was giving his effort uh, and trying to end possessions, getting defensive rebounds, the effort on the defensive end, challenging people at the rim. He would have meant a lot, but they don't have him. And again, it just exposes the, uh, the, the lack of personnel they have. Now, the Tigers finally took the lead with 221 left. It was the first lead they had since it was 3-2 to two with 18 minutes to go in the first half. So it was down to the wire, of course, went to OT. I thought Caleb Mills was phenomenal, 17 points. Uh, Javon Quinterly, if you take away the, uh, the uh, turnovers where he had six, um, I thought he was pretty good last night. Uh, made most of the right decisions besides on the turnovers. He had 20 points. And David Jones, I think he makes mistakes out there. He had five turnovers last night, and he struggled at moments. Um, but he he plays possessed in his own way. Like, he is all over the floor. He, he was their leading scorer with 23. Now, the ultimate issues outside of the personnel, offensive rebounds and second-chance points allowed. They gave up 15 offensive rebounds last night, too much scoring around the rim, against 16 dunks last night for VCU uh, against a team that's seemingly supposed to be athletic and long and not allow you to do that in the Memphis Tigers, but it happened. Uh, I think rotations and lineups, though, last night really were a problem. Uh, I want to start with Ashton Hardaway. I've seen him start. I don't have to see it again. <laughs> I, t- I really don't need to see it again. He's been great off the bench. He had 17 points um, in that Michigan game off the bench. I think that's the type of role that you need to have him play. But he didn't do anything of, of uh, really meaningful last night in, in the starting lineup. He had 20 minutes, and he had one assist. That's all he was able to do. That's all he was able to muster in one turnover. 0.0 rebounds. That probably tells me maybe him as a starter – not the way to go. He's young. He can still come into himself. And if you start to see a lot more production off the bench from him on a consistent basis, maybe you can insert him back in. But for now, I have seen him start. I don't need to see him start again. Elsewhere, 
um, it was about five, six minutes into the game, and Connor, I don't know if this strikes you like it strikes me, and I know if you're wanting Penny Hardaway to cut down the rotation to seven or eight guys, I think Mark said this earlier on Giannato and Jeffrey, you need a new coach. Like, he is going to play a lot of guys, nine, ten guys deep, maybe 11 in certain situations. But we got back to platoon swaps, and I don't like that. I, I don't think that you give the guys on the floor the amount of time to create that energy, that synergy with each other. And when you go full platoon swap, you just put yourself in a very, very bizarre situation where you have to find more synergy with that second group. Everybody has to get into the game. I, I did not enjoy. I did not enjoy going five, switching five in, uh, bringing five out. That, that's probably my biggest uh, sort of problem with the way Penny ran the show last night as far as rotations were concerned. I think it, that's, you know, that's fair. Um, I understand that with the absence of a guy like Jordan Brown and you're trying to get energy in there to help on the offensive glass and the defensive glass. And, you know, that's why, you know, it's such a glaring issue right now for the Tigers because it's not a lack of effort on the rebounding. It's a lack of personnel. Yep. And that's why last night I understood that Penny was trying to you almost switch wanted, it up. You'd almost rather it be lack he was of trying effort to, too, by the right. way. Right. He was he was trying he was trying to go bigger. I understand why he he switched up the starting lineup, but it didn't work. You know, it didn't work. They were down pretty early with that starting lineup. He did a platoon swap. That didn't really work either. And then toward the end of the game, he really kind of shortened that rotation. He wasn't doing the platoon as much as the game went right. on. It's just I think it's pretty clear that we've seen this year though. The Tigers have looked the best when you leave, leave guys out there and you let them run together um, for extended minutes. So well, uh, I, I hope that maybe maybe that is what we're going to see moving forward, maybe when Jordan Brown comes back. I, 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 there was some experimentation last night in this VCU game, which was, you know, at this point in the season, you, you, there was a hope that that wouldn't be happening still, that you would figure out what the pecking order was, what the lineups were. But I understand why it was happening last night. I just don't necessarily agree with it. Um, a win's a win, though. It, it's interesting because... Yesterday, getting ready for the game, we talked about how the keys to it were going to be the rebounding and they were going to be winning the turnover battle. And you needed Javon Quinterly and David Jones to show up. You got David Jones, you got Javon Quinterly. Caleb Mills, like you said, was really good last night. Bounce back performance by him. But you lost the turnover battle and you lost the rebounding battle. And that's why the talent last night, thank God, was just on Memphis's side of the basketball. And their late game execution, which wasn't great in the All-Miss game, was better last night. And then when they got into overtime, then you had Malco hit a big free throw. It was fun watching the game with a bunch of Tiger fans at Celtic. Everybody was freaking out. Yep. We, we basically paused trivia to watch, to watch the game because we had to see what happened. And at the end of the day, sometimes you get gifted with a guy blowing layups. And that's what yeah, happened that with was, VCU. That was, you I still gifted. can't, I still can't gift. fathom how he missed that layup. I don't, I don't know either. I don't know either. And it wasn't the only one like that that they missed. They missed at least two layups like that. And the good news is, is the Tigers took advantage of the extra life that VCU gave them. And they went out there and they took care of business in overtime. It, was an, it wasn't pretty, but it was a win. It, and it was a good win. You know what I mean? We said that they were going to try to bring you into the mud. And they won in the mud. We've seen the Tigers win by running it up and down, kind of dominating the game on all aspects. But it was nice to see them get in a game like this where it was ugly and pull out a victory. Yeah, now, the, the issue I have with the rotations of the platoon swap is it felt like in that first six minutes when you had that starting lineup out there up to about the 14-minute mark, uh, or the 16-minute mark, I should say, four, first four minutes, it felt like they started to finally uh, mesh a little bit, come into themselves. It was like 11-7, to seven, and then you bring in all of the reserves, right. all the guys off the bench, and that lead starts to blossom again. It got to 22-13, to 21-30, whatever it was. And it just feels like you need to keep out guys out there. If you're going to stick with the starting lineup, stick with it for a while so they can get going, they can start to feel comfortable. But it didn't feel like in that first half he ever really gave them a chance to do that. And then the, the the final thing here, and this is, you know, a massive, this was the question coming into the year. There was turnovers, and the decision-making was not great at times. Uh, they had 18 turnovers, but it comes down to, and Penny talked about this after the game, they're not meshed well enough. They're just not meshed well enough. They're uncomfortable at this particular moment. Um, and he, he, Penny said, we're, we're really struggling with that right now. It's just going to take for uh, the players to say, I'm sacrificing my points and you need to sacrifice your points. And that's what we need to do. Like, 
When you're playing next to guys, you need to understand their tendencies, and I don't see that. You have Javon Quinterly getting into the paint, uh, trying to throw it out to, to David Jones. David Jones is trying to cut to the hoop. It ends up being an over and back. Like, there's just a lot of decisions out there that leave you sort of scratching your head and understanding that this team's just not where they need to be as far as understanding personnel in each other at this point in the year. And that's frustrating because this next three games – this is a lot's on the line in these next three games. Um, two top 25 teams and then the 26th team, if you will. Virginia's the top uh, vote getter um, in the AP poll. They're at 26th. And then you're going to have A&M and Clemson who are, are firmly in the top 25. Right. So you need to be able to mesh and have that synergy with each other before you play those games. You need to win one, two um, of those games if you really want to have the seed line you want come March. That's just the truth of it. And I also think when it comes to the meshing on the offensive end, which is what Penny Hardaway really had a problem with last night, I think Penny can take that into his own hands as well. And this has been a conversation for six years, okay? Love Penny. I think Penny's learned a lot over the years. But what helps with meshing on the offensive end when guys aren't, you know, when they're turning the ball over, when you can tell they're uncomfortable – have some sets. Have some plays. Draw up some real plans on offense. Tell them where they need to be. Make them more comfortable. But this has been a six-year conversation with Penny about having a better plan on the offensive end than sort of letting guys go cook and playing hero ball. But I think that's something. That's an adjustment he needs to make with this team. I know you have a tremendous amount of offensive talent, but sometimes you need to rein in that offensive talent when they're not having their best night at the office. Give them a plan. Give them something that they can lean on in times of need when they're struggling. And I still don't see that out there. I do think a little bit more structure may help with the turnovers. Because like you said, a lot of the turnovers are coming from guys trying to create an ISO moment, and then they drive to the basket. Another guy drives at the same time, and they throw it to them, and they're just not there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, yes. it happened. It well, happens the turnovers happen. Or, you know, I think another thing is, is it sustainable for David Jones and Javon Quinterly to be playing 36 and 40 minutes? Well, you know? last night with David Jones and a little bit of the injury, the yeah, old ankle, well, 40 got, minutes, you're, you're playing with fire there. You, you got an injury. And here's the thing. When David Jones went out, I think everybody had that collective gasp of, gasp of oh, God. Oh, God. Like, when times get tough and you need someone to go get a bucket, that's your guy. If you don't have him on the floor in a tight game like it was last night, you got you, – I, I don't know about you. I was concerned as hell oh, not when good. I saw yeah. David Jones leave the No, leave it's the not floor. what you want. It's not what you want. It's uh, That's why it's a good win last night. It just – there were still signs of some things that they need to work on, and we've talked about it. The way that they, they built the schedule, I respect it, and I still agree with the decision to, to build the schedule this way, but it means that they have to be playing their best basketball right now. And I'm not sure they're doing that. Um, you hope that they can get it together and play with a little bit more cohesion moving forward for these big next three games. They could do it. We've seen them do it in in the Arkansas game. They looked much better. In the Michigan game, they looked like they were together. It's just the last few, for some reason, it's looked a bit disjointed. And the Jordan Brown thing is extremely disappointing. But at the end of the day, like you've been saying, a win is a win. A win's yeah. a win. They pulled it out. Yes. No one's going to ask how it got done. They just want to know if you got it done. And I think that VCU team's a lot better than the 4-5 and five record uh, shows you. Good defensively. Saw that last night. Now, I think also part of this, if I'm trying to bring hope and positivity back around, road basketball's hard. It's hard, dude. And that's all they've done this year. They've they all, need yeah. a damn yes. home game. This team 100%. needs a home game, and they're not going to have a home game until Clemson and then Virginia back-to-back. They need a home game. They need to get in front of this home crowd, get a little bit more energy, um, and stop playing. VCU, that is a that is a fan base that really shows up and shows out for every home game, regardless of the of what their team looks like that year. They have played in some really tough environments. Yeah, and they and they deserve credit for that. They have taken care of business in some tough environments this year in some neutral site games. And I think it's pretty clear that when the Memphis Tigers come to town with Penny Hardaway and it the means star something. power, it means something to these teams. So that's why, you know, all of the things that we've been saying, these guys do deserve a lot of credit. They grinded out this win last night, and it was a big win. Those Malco free throw, that Malco free throw, man, was huge. Massive when he hit that. He, but he keeps continuing to give this team the minutes that they need. They need him so man, bad. They, and, and I'm he, really he's, happy he's back on he's, this team. He's been delivering, man. I mean, the, 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 the and one put back, he didn't end up um, converting the and one. 
but it, it tied it at 80 to 80 at one point. Like, that's, that's huge. That's huge. He's a dirty work guy. He makes the, and it was off an offensive rebound. He has been making things happen for this team. But the fact of the matter is, when it comes to your front court, if Malcolm Dandridge is your main point of production, you're going to need more than that. He can play in spurts, and we know his injury history. You just have to understand that and be careful with that and manage that throughout the year. Hopefully Jordan Brown can be that guy. But with a sickness and the lack of uh, conditioning and everything else, I, 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 I'm holding out hope that he'll be that guy, but it's not going to be in the near future. I think once we get to sort of uh, the middle of uh, conference, conference uh, uh, the conference slate, that's sort of what I expect him to be peaking. But right now, I, I don't know how much I hope I have for the next few games that Jordan Brown is going to be the Jordan Brown of old, the 16-10 and 10 Jordan Brown. But Malcolm Dandridge has been good, but you need more. You just you truly need more. And Nick Jordan I love, and he had a great block at the end of that game Big to time really block. ice it. And Big he, time. And, he does, and he's a dirty work guy. But you need more than two rebounds from a guy like that. You're a power forward. You have to be able to hit the glass a little bit harder. And we saw him last year against the same Tiger team be – I mean, uh, when they played Temple and they had to have that last-second shot from uh, Kendrick Davis to knock down, he was the guy getting a million different offensive boards. I want to see that type of production from Nick Jordan on this Tigers team. I want to see it translate to that. But he has been good, and I respect the game that he's brought. Now, the Grizzlies, that was easy. Yeah, right? Kind of. It's kind of easy. Sure. Once you got to the fourth quarter, it was yeah. easy. I mean, that, it was that's, a little that's stressful all that until then. <laughs> that's all that matters. 116-102. to 102. Um, And Dez, uh, Dez, Dez. Desmond Bain. Unbelievable. Ties for the second highest point total for any Grizzly in a regular season game. He tied Ja Morant, with a, who added another 49-point performance. Of course, Ja holds the record with 52, but 49-6-8. And, and it's a shame. It's a shame to see Desmond Bain playing at the level he's playing, an all-star level, and I don't know if he'll be able to get that nod because of the Grizzlies' early season woes. That's that's a struggle I have internally because he is an all-star caliber player, but I don't know if he'll get that nod. That's frustrating. Yeah, maybe. You know, I, it's the good news is is that you do have like the coaches vote and stuff like that. That's how he may be able to get in there. And, and I there's do, injuries. I, I do expect. I, I do think there's going to be an aspect to it though. When Ja comes back, the eyes of the NBA world will be on this Grizzlies team, and if Bain is able to continue the performances that he has had early season, I think he's got a shot. I still think he's got a shot to be that because it's after this performance, you're starting to see like shots get taken away though. When Ja sure and yeah. Marcus smart and guys come back, but he'll still get his, I think he's established himself though, as the number two offensive option 100%. behind John Moran. And on some nights he can be number one. That's why the, the comparisons that I think a lot of people have been throwing out today to clay Thompson, I think that they are appropriate because that is the type of scoring He's impact that he can have, right? Clay Thompson's right. first All NBA. Well, that's where in his rookie season, um, I had a conversation with our good buddy Parker Fleming on somebody's podcast. It may have been on one of our radio shows about the comp to him being Clay Thompson. He was playing very similar to him in his rookie season, so it's no surprise that we're seeing this continue. The biggest thing with, with him is being able to score off the dribble. It's he yep. is able to create for himself in a way that I don't think his downhill really bag. expect. When he goes downhill, you can't stop him. Yes, he's he is like a rock running at you. He really is. Yes. He throws people off him. He's strong as hell, man. Soft and he touch knocks the down a three, and he's. he's over the last three seasons, he is the most efficient, high-powered three-point shooter. When he came out with some of the restrictions he has with his arm length and everything else, like everybody always had questions about what he would ever be as a three-level scorer. He's grown into a three-level yes. scorer, and there's no denying yeah. it. He can do it from the mid-range. He had a tough one he hit over Cade Cunningham last night. Um, three-point was never a doubt, even when he came into the league because of his production at TCU. But getting to the rim, he's doing it's it at a high strength, level. His strength Every, around the rim it, is and that's very growth. impressive. That's the growth year to year. Yeah. Now, there's some people that say he always had it, but you have to grow and, and understand the NBA game, and he's done that at a high level. And he also, last night, a block and a steal, he scored the final, last, uh, the, the final 11 points for the Grizzlies as well. Um, now, I will give credit where credit's due, and then we're going to have a tough conversation. <laughs> Then we're going to have a tough conversation because I see it sort of uh, matriculating through the fan base. It's Jalen Noel. He was phenomenal last night. His mid-range, like seeing him just get to his spot in the mid-range and go knock it down is beautiful. It was great. Six for eight last night, 12 points, two rebounds, four assists, didn't have the turnover. He had a steal. He's still giving effort. Um, So Jalen Noel, I love that he's helping. 
and I love that it means something to him to give that effort to play with desperation because he knows his NBA career depends on it. And I think whether it's with the Grizzlies or uh, somewhere else, I think he can land somewhere and potentially make an impact at some point in his career. He already did it with the Tim. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. For Wolves, at least a little bit. But I want to have a real conversation. And it's sort of a come-on-man conversation. (sighs) Do people really think it's a realistic option to keep him around? I just don't see it. I don't see it. There's been games out there where he has been the worst offensive player out there. Now, he has the 12 and the 19-point performance and, and this 3 of 4 streak that they've had, and he's been decent on the offensive end at times, and he's a solid player. He's a very solid player all around. But nothing about his skill set is really convincing me to keep him long-term if I'm the Grizzlies. It's the effort and intensity he brings in a time of need that has made him look like the player he's looked since he's been on the Grizzlies with these two 10-day contracts. Like, that's what I'm looking at. Like, the biggest thing he has going for him right now is consistent minutes and the hunger and intensity he brings every night. Outside of that, once you bring smart Luke Jaw back, and the entire team starts to get that intensity and that hunger about them because they have their focal points back on the floor, I just don't know how much of a need there's going to be for a guy like Jalen Noel. The entire team's going to start to get going here in the next five games, after, the, after these five games when Ja gets back and all these guys get back at the same time. Now, if the front office decides to keep him, I think it's an escape from what we've seen in the past, right? They're, they're showing me a focus on the here and now. And I personally don't think through this really tough moment, I don't think there's a reason to be focused on the here and now. There's no need to get caught in this particular moment. I think this pain is temporary. And I love Jalen Noel, and if he happens to be a Grizzly, I'll be happy about that. But the thought process behind them getting rid of Jake LaRavia or getting rid of John Contra or getting rid of Zaire Williams in favor of Jalen Noel, that's not a realistic thing that's going to happen. I don't think that's realistically on the table. And I will be a Jalen Noel fan as long as I'm an NBA fan for what he's done in these, these, the, on these two 10-day contracts. He didn't have to give this level of intensity. He didn't have to help this team the way he did. No one thought he'd help the, way, the team the way he did. But at the same time, as we get down the road, once Ja comes back and you get back healthy a little bit, we're talking about a guy who would be a 13th, 14th, 15th guy on the roster. So let's go with Jake LaRavia. Do you really think they're going to give up on their 19th overall pick two years ago to go bring in Jalen Noel, who you know exactly who he is? The argument they'd make about Jake LaRavia is we don't know exactly what he is. We still have hope in him. Zaire Williams, he was 10th overall pick three years ago. There's no way... And also, he's been helping on the floor at times. The consistency needs to come along. But at the same time, they're not going to move off of Zaire Williams and take any type of dead money cap hit to bring in Jalen Noel. And then the third guy would be John Conchar. They're going to have to. They would. They would have to take a, a take in some dead money. They would have to have some uh, cap casualties, some issues with that to bring in Jalen Noel over John Conchar. So all this is to say, I love Jalen Noel and I love what he's been able to do. But if you think he's going to be here past this 10-day, I think you're fooling yourself. I really do. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything that you said. That's why it, it's the difficult conversation about the business of the NBA. Jalen Noel, without a doubt, has helped turn the tides of this Grizzlies season in a way. You know, it's before his, his first 10-day, everybody was talking about should this team be tanking. or Not everybody. We weren't. But a, a lot of people were talking about, is the season gone? And we were, you know pleading for patience, and uh, and it has worked out so far. They still need to win a few more games and continue on this trajectory that they are on, but three out of four, a lot of that is because of Jalen Noel and the activity that he brings. He is not shooting the ball great. He had a great shooting night last night, but he has not been shooting the ball great, but it's his activity. And he never has shot well, the ball great. And that's not, not why his... he's been successful, though. He, you know, the two yes. games in which he was scoring – 
thumbs up. Awesome. He has been successful, and he has been so impactful for this Grizzlies team because of the activity, because of the dirty work, because of the effort, and just making things happen out there, giving a damn. You know, that changes things. When you have a team that has been down, when you had a team that just got yelled at by Marcus Smart and Derrick Rose about being embarrassing, you needed a guy to step up and say, we have got to make an effort every single night and leave it out there. We may not have the talent night tonight to be competing with these teams, but if we can out-effort them, we can win some of these ball games, and that's what we've seen. You hit the nail on the head, though. You can disagree with it in the fact that they're going to pick Jake LaRavia over Jalen Noel, but, but that's what's that's going what's to happen. happen. Exactly. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with right. it. I, you know, if you ask me right now, but you know, do what? I think that Jalen Noel could have more impact on this Grizzlies team than Jake LaRavia as your 14th, 15th man? I'm telling you, hell yeah, I do. Of yeah, course but, I do. But it's all relative because he's the 14th or 15th all, man. And that's why it's all relative because it's we're not really talking about – I mean, I guess we're talking about Jalen Noel versus Jake LaRavia, but what we're really talking about is when Marcus Smart comes back, when Luke Kennard comes back, when John Morant comes back, and with the – appearance and the the rise of Vince Williams Jr., what what Jalen Noel does out there for the Grizzlies that is being impactful is going to be done by all four of those yes. guys. And I'm not sure I want to take minutes away from those four to give them to him. And He's the type of guy where, thank you so much, if there is a way to bring him on long term, I would be all for it. But you have brought up the dead money thing over and over again, and that's where it's going to be the conversation. We need we this team we know needs to make a move. They have got to do some sort of consolidation move. They need to bring in somebody that can really help this team win, whether it's going to be at the deadline or this offseason. They can't afford to take on dead money right now for a guy like Jalen Noel because he's not the answer. No. You know, he's not going to be the answer for that he's the guy. He's the answer right now. He's the answer right now. He's absolutely the answer right now. Long term, to your point, he's not the answer. And that's why we can say, Jalen Noel, thank you so much. We're going to remember you as a Grizzly. By like, the way, brother, you got good film. So you got great film. <laughs> and that barbecue, to some of these franchises. Barbecue and Tiny Bomb on us, brother. They're yes, on us. exactly. But I'm not sure there's a spot long-term for this team right now for him. If the dead money wasn't part of this conversation, sure, you want to cut somebody. I, 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 can, I can have conversations about that. When you're talking about pure hooping, ball, like when you're talking about just on-court impact, I understand the conversation why people want to keep Jalen Noel. I might be one of those people. But then when you bring up the roster construction, dead money, future moves that could be affected by bringing him on long-term, I'm just not sure that's the answer. Because I think that Vince Williams Jr., he's he makes more sense long-term for this yes, team. And, and he he play- does everything that Jalen Noel does well. A little bit more efficiently. And like I said, Marcus Smart, Luke Kennard, John Morant. All of the shots that Jalen Noel are getting right now are going to go to those three and guys, it, and they're better at there, it than he there is. Would be That's no, why you're going to be able to do everything Noel's doing for you with those four guys. Ja, Marcus Smart, Desmond Bain, Luke Kennard, Derek Rose at times. Like, that takes up all of the actual meaningful stats and production we've seen from Jalen Noel in this mini stretch. Yeah, and then Santi's been and then, really like, good. Here's Biombo's the thing. If we're having the really conversation good. between Vince Williams Jr. and, and Jalen Noel, Vince Williams Jr. plays a completely different role. I know they're the same height. They're both 6'4", but, J- but Jalen Noel's not a guy you're going to confuse for guarding one through three like Vince Williams Jr. can. He can guard right. one through three. He can knock down a three at a higher rate. I think he's 34%, approaching 35% on the year. Vince? Yes, Vince. Yeah. So I, I just I, I, I look at Jalen Noel, and I appreciate the work he's given. I just don't see a realistic way forward, uh, you know, when you consider the Grizzlies' mindset and where they need to be in the future to keep the guy. Right. And that's why, though, I, I get it. If you're having just pure, is this guy better than Jake LaRavia? Yeah. Sure. 100%. Yes. I, I agree with you. He's better than him. But when you take into consideration how the contracts would have to work, the dead money, things like that, how it would affect future moves, taking- I'm just not sure it's, it's worth it because it's a 15th man at the end of the day. When all of these guys come back... I think Vince Williams Jr. can be a part of the rotation. I'm not sure Jalen Noel would be able to be. I don't and think he's he would a great be. insurance policy to be, but that's what he can be for you. If you get more injuries, if something happens and you have to pick up another guy, go there, get him. Yeah. He's going to be there. You know, but and hopefully the tape that he'll get from the Grizzlies gets him a spot because he deserves a spot in the NBA somewhere. Unfortunately, I'm just not sure it's on this team right now. Do you long term? So so here's the thing. Do I think that Jalen Noel's a better NBA player? than Jake LaRavia, if that's the decision. Yes, I do. I think Right now, I think that's the case. One, they play different roles, and Jake LaRavia was a 19th overall pick. 
Um, that's that's ultimately the decision that the Grizzlies are going to make behind closed doors. He's the 19th overall pick two years ago. I'm not ready to give up on this guy. Their thought process would be, I have not seen him play enough meaningful NBA minutes to make a full decision on whether we're going to keep him or get rid of him. Um, and when it comes to Jalen Noel, you've seen him in a Timberwolves uniform. You've seen his ups and downs with this team in these two 10-day contracts. You'd say, I know what Jalen Noel is. I know what he's going to be as an NBA player. And it's not going to lift up our team by keeping him on long-term when we have John Morant and we have Marcus Smart and we have Desmond Bain and we have all these guys healthy. So, again, tough decisions coming up, but I don't think it's as tough as uh, a lot of the fan base is making. Jalen Noel, in the best way, is like an NBA mercenary that you can bring in and you say, hey, you have a thing that you do really well. You create chaos, you do effort, and you're going to have a couple games where you hit mid-range and it's going to look beautiful. He's an agent of chaos that you can bring in to help stabilize your team. He can help fix things for you. And that's exactly what he did. He did exactly what the Memphis Grizzlies needed him to do. 100 out of 100. Yes. Great. A+. plus. When all of those guys come back, you don't need the mercenary anymore. (laughs) You don't need his skill set anymore because they will be able to take care of it, and they are much better at doing it. Yep. At the end of the day, you don't need the guy who's a bit of a chucker and a chaos agent when you have Marcus Smart back. Luke Kennard and John Moran, and with the rise of Vince Williams Jr. Yes, that is the it's that is unfortunately the reality of the situation. It stinks. I love Jalen Noel. It's been a pleasure watching him play basketball. I'm glad that we're going to get to see him play a little bit more. I just don't know if it's realistic to have him on this basketball team long term. And by the way, um, Jitty was nuts last night. Jitty was very good. He, he was team high plus the 22 Williams, and his plus minus. Dude, the Conchar Nine, Williams seven, two, minutes were two nuts. Threes. <laughs> well, Conchar and Williams, they were both the, they were the, the two highest in plus minus, plus 22 for uh, for Jitty and plus, uh, 17. plus 17 for yeah. Vince Williams. Dude, this is Vince Williams. Dude, I, I am so in love with this guy. I know. Three I points. I have been for a while, though. Four rebounds, one assist, one steal, plus 17. You love to see it. Took two shots. You love to see it. <laughs> Took two shots. Incredible. I could I could deal with that all day. That's impact. Yes. That, that's gravitas. <laughs> yes. That's that's glue. That is that is glue, glue guy. guy. That's a glue guy Hall of Fame stat line. Yes. No question about it. Now, um, we're getting close to the holidays, and holiday time is engagement time. Designer engagement rings are at great prices and available in every budget at Robert Irwin Jewelers. Always remember that, and you can buy with confidence with the Robert Irwin Jewelers way 46 years in business, always serving Memphians. The RIJ way, though, is pretty simple. One, you have the meant-to-be guarantee. You can buy our loose diamond and custom-made engagement ring from Robert Irwin Jewelers, and you'll have 365 days to return it. So if you guys break up, if you're not 100% satisfied with that made-to-order um, engagement ring, you can bring it back, no catches. No exceptions. You'll get a full refund. They also have free ring sizing for life. If that ring's too snug or too loose, bring it into RIJ, one of their locations, and they will handle that for you for free. And then the diamond trade-up. If you have a smaller diamond that you bought way back in the day and you want to upgrade, guess what? You bring in that old diamond, you find your new bigger diamond, and all you do is pay the difference. <laughs> that, that old diamond will give you credits toward getting that new diamond. And then also free jewelry spa service for life. Um, if you want to keep that jewelry bright and sparkling like the day you bought it, you bring it into Robert Irwin Jewelers if you bought it there, and they will handle it for you for free. And they have lots of financing options to make it affordable. Long-term financing is available. Take up to 60 months to pay. They have 0% interest financing, no credit check financing. And they have all the trends guaranteed to make a splash, to make it uh, this holiday season mean a little bit more, a little sparkle. So there's bigger, brighter diamonds, better prices at Robert Irwin Jewelers, or you can go online at rijewelers.com. Make sure you get over there for the holidays because, again, holiday time is engagement time. Now we have some college football news and notes to get to. Colorado lands a big recruit on the offensive line. And then we also have some coaching switches to discuss right here on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. Back rolling on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. Before I get into the college football news and notes I want to get to, a couple nights ago, obviously we didn't have a whole lot of time to discuss it yesterday, but D'Angelo Williams became the first football player from the University of Memphis to be inducted in the College Football Hall of Fame. And I think he needs a round of applause for that. And, and like just to talk about the historical significance of what he was able to accomplish um, and seeing a guy from this program be able to get into the College Football Hall of Fame for the first time ever. Like History has to start somewhere, and D'Angelo Williams definitely is a big part of the history of this program, and I have a whole lot of respect for for 
everything he does for the city and everything he, he did while he was on campus. So shout out to the first college football Hall of Famer football player in the College Football Hall of Fame for the University of Memphis, D'Angelo Williams. Now, into college football. Before last night, I was asking a lot of questions about what's going on at Colorado. If you haven't been following, Connor, it is not looking good right now for Coach Prime. Like, I have to ask, is everything okay? Um, Now, last night, they ended up landing the number one offensive tackle in uh, this year's uh, recruiting class, Jordan Seaton. Now, he commits to Colorado. They need a lot of help. He'll probably play left tackle. He'll probably play really early. I wonder what the NIL package looks like. Obviously, they're headed to the Big 12, different schedule, the whole nine yards. Um, But... Hopefully that's a good start to keeping Shador Sanders from having a fractured back. But that's where this starts. We had Shador Sanders with a fractured back that we're worried about. They have recruiting issues outside of the Jordan Seaton issue. They had uh, decommits all over the place. Um, They have guys entering the transfer portal all over the place. We have Sean Lewis, their OC, who did a really good job with – with Shador Sanders leaving to San Diego State. Darian Hagan, who's a running back coach and a CU legend, a Colorado legend, he goes with him to be the running back coach at San Diego State. It does not look the greatest. And then I also saw a note about um, Coach Prime being asked about who's going to be the OC going into next year with Sean Lewis on the way out, and he says Pat Shermer. Pat, old Pat Shermer, NFL guy, is going to be – the uh, OC. I don't know how much I like that. When he took over, that team offensively was not the same team, and they struggled way worse than they were before. Um, they they sort of let Sean Lewis off the hook of the play calling duties. Um, but I hate to say it, Connor. I'm in a weird spot with this Colorado program. Yeah, they had a lot of improvements this year, but Coach Prime going into year two with all the things, the moving parts around him. He's going to have to get this thing on the up and up in a big way. Four four wins is now the next set expectation. You get into the Big 12, you're going to have to exceed that. You're going to have to get back to bowl games or uh, or people are going to start coming back uh, down on you very hard. And uh, it, it just has not looked so good this offseason to start. Uh, but that, that was good news for him yesterday, getting the number one offensive tackle recruit. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's no doubt about it. Their biggest issue when we watched the games this season was their offensive line and their game in the trenches. They were just getting absolutely beaten down there, and that's why they weren't able to win more than four games. Really good, you know, good season, 1-4. You got the eyes of the country on you, but when some adversity gets brought to you, how do you react? And that's going to be the next step. And then there was another uh, report out there. He was asked about the privacy around his program. And this is a little bit of a tell-your-story. Um, if you're, if you, if you follow Giannato and Jeffrey, they do it every day. Did it with Sean McDermott today. We'll get that. We'll get to that a little bit later in a trip around the NFL. Um, but he was asked about the privacy around the program and he basically had a response saying, Oh, I I always want more privacy around the program. That's not going to happen though. Prime, you have a, a docu-series on Amazon prime. The cameras are always around you. So I want to see how he manage this, manages this next step. A lot of roster turnover, a lot of coaching turnover. What can you do to maximize the talent you have in Boulder? Uh, elsewhere on the coaching carousel, we have uh, New Mexico hiring a new coach. I know that there's, you know, who cares about New Mexico? I get that. They're a terrible football team. But Bronco Mendenhall's getting back involved in college coaching after the Virginia thing, and he's, he's, he was done there. He's going to hop back in after some health issues and go to New Mexico. That's a strange hire. Uh, I remember playing his teams when he when he was at BYU, playing his team when he was at BYU that we beat in the Miami Beach Bowl. He's got some edge about him. I think he can turn that New Mexico program around, but he's well into his 50s, and that is a tough job to take at this point in his career. Middle Tennessee State hires Derek Mason. Obviously, he's been at Auburn as a defensive coordinator, and uh, uh, also he was a uh, a analyst this year at Alabama, so he's going to hop back into college coaching at the age of 54. Last time uh, his head coach, he was a head coach, was at Vandy. That didn't turn out all that well. But Middle Tennessee, I think, considering their circumstances, decent hire. And then Duke has made a hire, and I find this kind of interesting. Penn State's defense was great, and it was run by Manny Diaz, who's been around the block a few times. But Duke hired Manny Diaz as their head coach? I Up until the last 
sort of 48 hours in college coaching, I think you had a lot of good fits. A&M got Mike Elko. I think that's a great fit. Mississippi State, Jeff Levy. Michigan State gets Jonathan Smith from Oregon State. San Diego State had Sean Lewis. Houston gets Willie Fritz. I thought those were all good fits. These last three, Bronco Mendenhall to New Mexico, Derek Mason to Middle Tennessee State, Manny Diaz to Duke. I have a lot of more, I have a lot more skepticism about the job they'll be able to do at those jobs, and they're tough jobs. Um, also, um, this was earlier in the week, we have news about the defensive coordinator position opening up at the University of Memphis. Matt Barnes is out, headed to Mississippi State to coach safeties. Under Jeff Levy, I think that's his best role. He's a good DB coach, but as a defensive coordinator, we've seen probably not the best. It was probably for the best that he's out and somebody else gets a crack at this job. Um, Now, we'll see what takers are out there, what Ryan wants to go make happen. I think we've seen over the years Ryan Silverfield has an inordinate amount of connections through his NFL days, through his college days, of, of guys that will come in and coach for him. But who is that next guy going to be and what changes will they make? I still think they have a, a, a tremendous amount of talent on that side of the ball, but they have to maximize it. And uh, Matt Barnes and his two-year span as a defensive coordinator did not maximize it in the slightest. And it was a lot of DBs not making plays on the ball. There were coverage busts. As the season wore along the last two years, run games for various different programs started to run all over the Tigers. So just get somebody else in here to go see if they can take a crack at this thing. But it is kind of amazing to think the first five, six games of the year, what we thought about that defense, and then the last six games of the year, how far they fell, and how far the Matt Barnes experience fell that quickly. We thought this was going to be one of the best defenses we've seen since 2014, and it was anything but that. No, it was, I mean, I don't think that there's any doubt about it that the offense was clicking by the end of the season, and the reason they were in all of these tough games is they could not get stops when they needed them the most. Just go look at the SMU game. Period. Yep. The SMU game. That's a game you needed huge they, stops. Here, here's what I'll say about the SMU game. That was a little. It was strange because the offense had paced, and every time the defense got stops leading up to that game, it seemed like the offense would capitalize. In that fourth quarter, I do have to give some credit where credits due. They got two stops against that SMU offense, but the but the Memphis offense wasn't able to. Capitalize. Sure, they gave up a ton before then. They, like, gave, that's up, the, they gave up 38 <laughs> points. I understand that. I understand that. And that, but that's always been the trade off we've had with good offensive teams at this school. So let's change let's it. Let's be honest. You need to change that, and yeah. hopefully this next hire can do that. Right. Need to make something happen, because I think the offense is trending in a fantastic direction. The retention exactly. is great. You have Seth Hennigan, Rock Taylor, Demir Blankumsee seemingly coming back. Your old line besides Davion Carter, uh, you know, McKylan Pounders, uh, seems like he's going to come back. It seems like the offense with Tim Cramsey, that's trending in the right direction. Get this defense going, and I think you have something going into next year where no Willie Fritz, no SMU. You have UTSA to beat. Right. So you get this defensive coordinator hire, and you could be in the AAC championship next year, and it shouldn't be overly hard to go make that happen, to accomplish that. But we'll see what this hire is going to be. Now, um, transfer portal is still nuts. (laughs) It's still ridiculous, Connor. Rocket Sanders is in the transfer portal. Along uh, K.J. Jefferson, I think he's still trying to make that decision, but Rocket Sanders was phenomenal as the Arkansas running back. This year he had a bunch of injuries. I'd imagine he ends up at a very, very nice landing spot this year. Once he gets healthy, he can, you know, whether it's somewhere else in the, Ace, or in the SEC, you know, Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, whatever it is, I think he's going to have that out there for him. Tyler Shaw, uh, Tyler Shaw, or Shoe, whatever the hell you want to call him. He's a five-star, what, seven years ago? Six years ago? And he ended up at Oregon and then Texas Tech. He was recently at Texas Tech. He commits to Louisville for year seven. I don't understand the fascination with that guy. I'm sorry. I don't get it. How he keeps landing in these great spots, Oregon to Texas Tech, Texas Tech to Louisville with Jeff Brom, how? The guy's his best year is 13 TDs to six interceptions, and he's in year seven. I understand he was a five-star way back when, but at some point you have to show me production, and Tyler Shue has never done that. Just strange. Brock Vandegrift, um, who is a uh, transfer quarterback, uh, five-star in the 2021 class from Georgia. He ends up at Kentucky. Uh, Trevor Etienne, who has been one of the lead backs for Florida, really good back, 719 yards in his freshman year at Florida in 2022. 2023, 753 yards, 14 touchdowns combined those two years. He's going to have a lot of takers uh, leaving Florida. And then bigger than anything, uh, at least the last 
24 to 48 hours. Eli Drinkwitz, as much as I doubted what he would be at Mizzou, he's coming off 10 and 2 year, New Year's Six type bowl game. He is doing such a good job, man. And it, it also goes back to uh, how he's recruiting. And he landed one of the biggest recruits they'll get this entire portal season, Toriano Pride Jr. He's from East St. Louis. Came out a couple of years ago. Uh, he's a top three transfer portal guy, according to uh, 247. He's a cornerback from Clemson. He's going to be a future pro. Mizzou ended up landing him last night. Mizzou is on the up and up in a big way. But uh, as this portal season goes along, we have a lot to sort of figure out with these quarterbacks. This quarterback list, you want me to go through it? Riley Leonard, Dylan Gabriel, Will Howard from Kansas State, Cam Ward, my guy. I love Cam Ward. DJU, Kyle McCord, Will Rogers, Tyler Van Dyke, and Grayson McCall. It's nuts. It's free agency. It really is. I think, and I want your opinion on this. I think as much as people down the fact of how easy it is with the one-time transfer portal rule to go to a different school, maybe go to a rival school, um, people down that and they hate that aspect of it. I tend to like it. I think it adds to the storytelling behind college football game by game when you have these transfers doing what they do. And also, it's hard to really it's hard to really go after the transfer portal when you look at the Heisman races. You know, the last five to ten years, how many damn transfers have we seen win the Heisman? Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield. We're going to see Jaden Daniels win one this year. Bo Nix is a finalist. Michael Penix is a finalist. So as much as we want to down really good players transferring from school to school, it works out for them and it works out for us because the entertainment value and the storytelling tends to go up. I have concerns with it, but they're not big enough yet. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.